um, we were out having uh, breakfast. We do this a lot in our family on Tuesdays is my day off. And we go out and have breakfast and, and we're sitting at breakfast. And during breakfast, uh, Eleanor, uh, one of my granddaughters, I was talking to Deb and she was telling Deb about the seasons because we're in the season, the series called Seasons. But she was telling Deb about the seasons of her life. And she said, I've had four birthdays. Okay, and she went and described each of her birthdays when I was a big kid, a baby, uh, too little to eat gum. This is a big season, right? Too little to eat gum and then growed up. And those are her four seasons of her life. Wouldn't, isn't that nice? I mean, those are the seasons of your life to think. Too little to eat gum. Man, I remember that when I was too little to eat gum. I was reading and I, I, I came across this. A first grade teacher gave her class the beginning of a very famous phrase. Okay, things that you would have all heard before. Um, and then she said she would like them to finish the phrase. So she gave him the beginning of the phrase and then she said, finish this phrase. And she let her first graders finish the phrase. And here's what they came up with. This is what they said. She said, better to be safe then. And they said, punch a fifth grader. Um, <laughs> you think about it when you're in first grade. It's better to be safe than punch a fifth grader. Uh, it's always darkest before daylight savings time. That was their answer. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. Now, that makes all kinds of logical sense, right? You look at some, don't bite the, don't bite the hand that looks dirty. That, that's real good logic. A penny saved is not much. That was their answer. <laughs> Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. Again, good thought process. And the last one was a miss is as good as, and they said a misses. All right. A miss is as good as a misses. If you're in a season of life right now where you're a miss, where you're single, the Bible says that you are just as good and complete as a missus, okay? Man or woman kind of thing, you know what I'm saying here. If you're single, you're just as good and just as complete, okay, as a married person. According to the Bible, being single is not a curse. It is not a curse. It is a blessing. It's a blessing. I was, uh, I was, someone laugh. Um, I was after the service, and this is encouraging to me, but a lot of the different singles came up in our church and said, nailed it. Okay, so that's going to make me even bolder than the first service in preaching this sermon. When people who are in that, that, that season of their lives, if it, and that season could go on for the rest of their lives. But either singles who are, will be single or choose to be single for the rest of their lives, or people who've gone through a season of being single, when they come and say, that's exactly, you nailed it, you guys, when you talked about this, is exactly how I felt. And it really amazes me, to be, really, to be honest with you, with you how rude um, and uh, disrespectful that the culture is to single people. You know, I, during this series, we're talking about men and we're talking about women. We're talking about, you know, godly men and godly women. And what does that look like? And, 
And, uh, and we all, we all, no one wants to be disrespected, right? We all want to make sure that everyone understands that we are where God wants us to be. We have value because we're creating the image of God. What, you know, married people sometimes treat single people with a lot of disrespect. And I heard it out in the foyer in the sense of people telling me some of the stories of their lives. We need to be careful when it comes to this to make sure that we are not disrespecting people who are in different seasons of their lives. It is a it is a blessing, not a curse. And that's good because uh, our culture and our world are changing. And I was reading these census figures and um, the largest group of American household households now consists of people. OK, who live alone, who live alone. The Census Bureau of the United States newest numbers show that married couple households have slipped from almost 80 percent. Married couple households from almost 80 percent in the 1950s to just 50 percent now. Things are changing. I'm not even saying right, wrong or indifferent with these statistics. I'm just I'm just kind of laying it out for us. So we need to we need to look at these numbers and we're going to ask ourselves some questions. And what I want to do this morning as we continue our series on seasons, there are a few truths about being single that I want to address And then there are some wrong assumptions that we need to pretty much confront. Okay, some truths that we want to address and some assumptions that we want to confront. So let's start with let's start with a few of these wrong assumptions. Okay, where we we become, I think, culturally disrespectful when it comes to singles. Wrong assumption number one. If you're single, you're not living a fulfilling life. So if you're single, that's one of the assumptions that, you, you know, because you're not fulfilled, you don't have everything. And so you're, you're not living a fulfilling life. So let me make this one quick and simple. Simple. Jesus Christ was unmarried. Paul was unmarried. OK, and they lived completely fulfilling lives. OK, no one would argue that Jesus was perfect. OK, and he was single. Wrong assumption. Number two, a woman can only be complete. If she's married with children, and I asked Deb to come and to um, talk about this one. So I traveled to see my closest friend this week. I flew out to Philly, and she's like my sister. We've been friends for like almost half a century now. And I told her that Jeff asked me to talk about this, to which she laughed out loud and said, What do you know about being a single woman? You were never a single woman because I got married in college when I was a teenager still. And I really think she was kind of teasing Jeff because we met Jeff when we were 14. And so I thought she should talk to him and ask him why we did that. But I thought, hey, I told Kim, this is what dad wants me to talk about. And she's like, well, you know more about being a single woman than he does, because at least you got that woman part. This is true. And I have been in ministry and I've been married for 33 years. So I do know a lot about wrong assumptions. So we'll, we'll start with that. The wrong assumption that somehow a woman is complete if she is married or has a family or something along those lines is certainly rooted in culture, but is also rooted in this never-ending cycle of comparison that we'd have, comparing ourselves and our lives to that of others. We look at everything that everyone can be and do and have and create this picture of what a woman is, right? And then we tend to internalize this concept. Somehow, if we don't have all the parts of this picture that we have, then we feel less than, which is crazy. Sometimes it's a single woman that feels less than 
because she doesn't have a mate or a family. Sometimes it's a woman who doesn't have a child or more than one child that feels less than. Sometimes it's a, a career woman who's had to give up this in order to attain that that feels less than. Sometimes it's a mom who doesn't have a career or a degree who feels less than. Sometimes it's someone who's serving who doesn't feel that she's as effective as someone over here who feels less than. Sometimes it's someone who doesn't know what the next step is who feels less than. As a single, and everyone else listening, including me, you are called to do whatever it is that's right in front of you right now in a way that's going to honor and bring glory and honor to God and make you become more like Jesus. So I want you to look with me. Of course, God values marriage. And, of course, he values having children. But I want you to look with me and notice a couple of examples in the Bible and what, what he has recorded about these lives of a couple in, a, in the lives of a couple women. And what has he recorded for you and me? What does he want us to remember about them? The first one is Deborah. Her story is told in the book of Judges, and it's about her role as a prophetess and a judge. She's one, of the, one only one woman among 12 judges in Israel at this point. She is mentioned that she's married, but she's a powerful leader in Israel right now. And she, her account, again, is not in the context of her marriage, her family, or anything. It's being a strong leader. She's influential. And it says that there's 40 years of peace after, after her um, influence. It's incredible. Her story is incredible. She's well-respected. She's super wise. It's amazing. Ruth, on the other hand, Her story basically picks up where she's single. She's a widow. We don't hear about the 10 years except a sentence, a 10 years that she was married. But she picks up where she's a widow. And this whole story talks about how she goes with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she travels with her to Bethlehem. She leaves behind her godless country, Moab, and she travels to Bethlehem. And she decides that your God is going to be my God. I'm going to take care of you. She decides, hey, we're in obscurity and poverty now. Two widows, right, have no, basically no means she works the fields she makes sure that they have food to eat she's respectful she's known as a virtuous woman and when naomi asks her i want you to go to boaz and ask him if he will marry you basically give yourself to him and he can be the kingsman redeemer and restore my line she does that instead of marrying someone her own age she's selfless thinks of other people and does that in return she finds love finds protection Naomi's line is restored. Ruth's son becomes Obed, which is David's grandfather, and she is in the lineage of Jesus. Pretty amazing. Jochebed and Miriam are known for their selfless loving acts in their family. That's the mother and sister of Moses. Priscilla and Lydia are known for their careers and their help in furthering ministry. The point is that God validates all the parts, all the seasons of a woman's life. So you don't want to regret the season that you're in. You want to see it the way that God does. Very good. Thank you so much. Yes. Wrong assumption number three. The grass is greener on the other side. Right? I mean, oh, once you, once you, once you. Some singles think that if they're married, everything is going to be so much better. Um, Yeah. And the... the The funny thing is so many of you talk to people at work or all around who married people who wish they were single again, right? So you got people who are single wishing they were married. You got people who are married wishing they were single again for whatever reason and, and you're just really struggling. And here's the thing. When you get on the other side of the fence in this life, you realize that there are a lot of ups and downs in life. 
All right. There are a lot of there are a lot of ups and downs, no matter what side of the fence you're on. And so we need to stop worrying about like being on. Oh, if it was just if I could just if I was just first Corinthians 717 says it way better than I could. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Don't spoil what you have desiring something that you don't have. We miss out on the blessings of now because of we, we desire what, what is to come or what we think we should have. Don't spoil what you have now. Don't waste what you have now desiring what you don't have. Wrong assumption number four. If you're single, you're lonely. And if you're married, you're not. Okay. That's the that is a that is completely, again, not true. Some people believe that single people are just so lonely and uh, they, they just must be lonely. And if you're married, you're never alone. Right. So you get you're single, you're alone, you're lonely because you're a single. And, uh, and when you're married and you have someone, so you're you're never alone. Um, actually, there are many singles who are not lonely at all. Okay, they're not lonely whatsoever. But I know a lot of married people who are very lonely. You know, sometimes it's worse to feel lonely when you're in a crowd or with other people. Because you think, well, why am I feeling so lonely? I am I have all these people around me. If you're married and you're lonely, to be honest with you, that's worse. So this assumption that all singles are lonely is not true. It's not true at all. Many of them have deep relationships with Jesus Christ. They have people, loving people around them. They have great connections. Um, and they're, they're not lonely. They're where God wants them to be. That's just a wrong, a wrong assumption. Here's another thing we need to realize. And please, everyone listen to this, okay? I, I think we all need to understand that no one person was, to des- was designed by God to meet your deepest needs. It's a huge mistake that we make as people. We think when we get married, we're going to find that Mr. or Mrs. whatever, and they're going to fulfill my deepest, all the needs that I have when I get married, they're going to fulfill all my deepest needs. God didn't design one human being, okay, on this earth, who you're going to marry, who's going to meet all of your deepest needs. That's Jesus' role. That's what Jesus does for us. And if we would get that right in our hearts, if we would, if you're single here and you are thinking one day I would like to be married, please ingrain that in your mind now and work that through now so that when you get married, you don't walk into a relationship and expect her or him to meet all of your deepest needs that no one's ever met before. It isn't going to happen. It isn't going to work. You're going to have false expectations. You're going to be very disappointed. And there's no need to feel the way you're going to feel when you get in that situation if you deal with it now and realize that your deepest needs need to be met by God and God alone and then you can have a healthy relationship with someone else. And that flows into uh, wrong assumption number five. When I find my, my right person, when I find my soulmate, I'll be content. 
Once I find, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm kind of in limbo and I'm waiting. But once I find my soulmate, I'm going to be totally content. Our culture tells us that if we just wait, if we just wait and find that right person, once you find that right person, you're going to be content. Friends, contentment only, true contentment only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. A deep relationship with Jesus Christ, not in finding your so-called soulmate. It just doesn't work that way. Paul, who was single, puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says, For I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then he goes on to say, I can do everything through him, Christ, who gives me strength. I have found the secret in being content in any and every season of my life is what he's saying. Regardless of what season it is, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do everything through him, through him, not through him or her. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's only through Christ that we find our true contentment. Now, I want to stop there and here's what I want to do next. I want to talk through... um, some biblical truths about being single. These are some truths about being single. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is addressing some challenging questions that are being asked him by the church. The church, okay, the different churches around are asking, they're writing him and asking him questions, and they're having a difficult time. It says in verse 1, now for the matters you wrote about. So they're writing him asking, well, how do we deal with this? And how do we deal with this? All this is going on in our church. All these things are happening. How do we deal with them all? He was dealing with a conflicted culture. And he was dealing with a conflicted church. Some people were looking down upon people who were were single. Other people were looking down on people who were married. There was all kinds of, if you will, it, it it, it was the sexual immorality within Corinth was over the top. There was so much sexual immorality among single people and among married people. It was just um, outrageous. It was it was rampant, if you will, within Corinth. And so that's the culture in which they're living. So they're asking because people are getting saved and coming into the church or just coming in. And, and they're living all these ways. They're saying, how do we deal with with all of this? So that's what Paul is trying to do. So what Paul does is he gives them instruction in chapter seven. All right. And first thing he does, he validates marriage. Okay, so he's validating marriage. Being married is awesome, wonderful, fantastic. He's validating it as he should, because it is. It's biblical. It's right. It's not a problem. So he validates marriage. But then but then he tells them that being single could be to their spiritual advantage. Staying single, being a single person could be to their spiritual advantage. He recognizes also the reality of human desire, okay, that was going on. He recognized that, and so that plays into his instruction here. While trying to bring clarity to their, to their confusion, Paul is really walking a tightrope. He's, he's, walking, he's walking a tightrope, and in that clarity, he presents two options that we can follow as followers of Jesus Christ. Two options that we can follow. One is the marriage of one man to one woman. That's the one. And the second one was being self, a, 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 a self-controlled single. A self-controlled single. 
So one man to one woman and a self-controlled single. That, those are the two options he lays out. So let's dig into these verses a little deeper. OK, we want to go a little deeper so that that for, for those here who are single, you can be single and spiritually satisfied. You can be satisfied with your life. Because God may have, may have called you to be single. So I want to talk about what that means to be called to be single. At, maybe it's for a season. Maybe it's forever. And that you can be satisfied with your life. So first, recognize that being single is good and it's godly. Being single is good and godly. In the first half of, in the second half of verse one, Paul says this. He lays it out clearly. It is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a man not to marry. The word good means acceptable, beautiful, and honorable. So I want to, I want to say that again to all the people here, to everyone here, but to people who are single. It is good. It is acceptable. Beautiful and honorable to be single from a biblical perspective. From God's perspective, it is respectable, it is beautiful, and it is honorable to be single. Verse 8 continues, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Paul, Paul here was following the example of, of Jesus Christ on this one because he's going counterculture here. He's going counterculture. In the Jewish culture, in the culture around, it, to be single was basically wrong. It was a sin. If you're single by the time you're, you know, 21, 22, whatever years old, it's just wrong. Okay, it was wrong to be a single in their culture. So Paul right here, what he's writing is kind of, he's, he, Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's following the example of Christ. Remember we talked about biblical womanhood and how Jesus viewed women and the culture was completely opposite. And Jesus was like, in your face, I created them. Here's what women are. Here's how they should be treated. Here's what I say. Paul's pretty much doing the same thing. They're saying, if you're single in this culture, uh, that was kind of like a but Paul is saying, nope, uh, I'm going to go counterculture here. So listen to Paul again in these verses. He says, it is good for them to stay unmarried just as I am. And then he repeats himself in verse 26. I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. In verse 40, he's talking to widows and he says, in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. So being single is a good thing according to the word of God. Being single is a good thing, according to God's word. Second, you are not incomplete or missing something because you are unmarried. From a biblical perspective, you are not incomplete or missing something because you are unmarried. And again, you know, we sit around, we, of course not, of course not. But that's not how we act sometimes in our culture. Okay, even in the church, that's not how we that's not how we present it in 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 subtle ways to people who are single. All right. We wouldn't like it. We don't like it when they do it to us for whatever reason. Anybody over six foot is whatever. I wouldn't like that if people had that kind of attitude toward people over six foot. But we do this all the time to each other, but we don't recognize it. So it is not it, it is not wrong. You're not missing something because you're not married. Did you know did you know that being single, hear me out, biblical fact, being single is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Verse 7, this is what it says. I wish that all men were as I am, 
But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. This same word gift is used in chapters 12 through 14 when when Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts. The same word is used. Paul is teaching that being single and being married are gifts of God. They are gifts of God. God allowing certain people at certain times in their life, whatever, to, to be married or to be single. Those are gifts from God. He wants us to recognize that being single is a calling. I'm going to use that word. Is a calling from God, even if it's just for a season. Let me say, let me say that again. Being single is a calling of God, even if it's just for a season of your lives. I want to say it again. Stop living if you're a single person like you're in limbo waiting for real life to happen. Real life is happening right now. You are where you are and God can use that season of your life to bring glory to himself and to impact your life right now. There is no waiting for another, wait, well, wait till I get to this season of my life. Once I move on to this season, then I'll really be able to. That has to be wiped from our mindset completely. And we need to help if you're married or whatever the case may be, you cannot make single people feel like somehow they're missing or they're just waiting for the next season of their lives when they can really be complete because they find Mr. and Mrs. Right. That is not biblically correct. Verse 24 continues, brothers, Each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God has called him to. What situation are you in? You remain there. You serve God. You glorify God. You grow in your relationship with Christ. You conform to the image of Christ where you are right now. If God chooses to call you and move you from that season of your life, that's totally fine. But you don't sit around and wait for the next season to come along and then you can really really do this or really that for so many being single being a single person is not only a gift but from my experience these are some of the most mature disciplined patient um they have such incredible character they're godly they're loving they're merciful they have they have so much to offer they are some of the most i'm going to say it again the most godly christ-like people i've ever met in my entire life people who are single that's just a that's just a reality now that doesn't mean that you're going to have this gift if you're single now it doesn't mean you're going to have this gift during every season of your life, it may just be where God has you right now. It it could be moving from one season to another season to another season. There are different seasons of our lives. We all go through that, right? Eleanor had four seasons so far. You may have had a lot more than four seasons, right, of your life you're going through. That's okay. God can use you in every season of our lives. God may choose to change, if you think about it, he may, he may decide to choose to change your calling. So you may be single now, and he may choose to change your calling, and then you get married, and then you're a different season of your life. Or you may be content with being single for the rest of your life. And you say, God, that's what I want for my life. I want to remain single for the rest of my life. That's a gift. And if, if that's your choice, that is a good choice. It is a good honorable, beautiful, acceptable, every other wonderful word biblically that we can use, choice. 
that you're that you have right now. You're making that choice. See, Paul wants us to see all of us. He wants us to see every season of our lives, married or single, from an eternal perspective. You're single. You're in a different season of your life. How can I glorify God through that season of my life? You're married. How can I glorify God through that season of my life? We need to see every season we go through from an eternal perspective. Third, according to Paul, if you're single, you often have a unique advantage in glorifying God. You may have a unique advantage in glorifying God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 29, it reminds us the time is short. It says the time is short. So what Paul is saying here is that you, ha- you and I have no idea how much time we have on this earth. If that's the case, we need to live our lives to the fullest. We need to live our lives all for Jesus Christ. We need to live with a sense of urgency. He says the time is short. You know what's funny? So you live with that sense of urgency, but the older you get, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, when I was really young, I felt like Christmas came around once every five years. It was like, it took forever, right? Christmas, oh, I'll get away to get my presents, Christmas, you know, when you're a little kid. And even when you're, you're a little bit younger. But then as you get older, it feels like it comes every five weeks, doesn't it? It's like Christmas is just like over and the next thing you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you look in the store and there's there's all the decorations going up and you've got to be kidding. It's here again. I love Christmas. All right. But it feels like my mother who's turning, she's turning 80 this June. She was telling me, you know, I say, man, it feels like life is just going so fast. Every time I turn around, it's like happy new year. You know what I mean? Like slow down. I have a lot I want to accomplish. It happened, she said, boy, you think, you think it goes fast and feels like it goes fast now. Wait until you, wait until 20 more years. It's just flying by. That's what Paul is saying. Time is short. Time is short. There, there is no, there is no, there is no place in your life as a Christian to sit around, okay, and, and just wait for the next season, wait for the next season. Paul is saying, God is saying, time is short. You need to live for me now. Verse 26, Paul says this, because the present crisis, because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. So time is short because of the present crisis. Now, crisis here could mean one of, of a couple of things. It could mean persecution. It could mean calamity. It could mean trials that you go through in life. That's the idea of a crisis. It wasn't easy being a follower of Jesus Christ when Paul was walking the earth. And he's basically saying, if you're single in this, in that environment, if you're single, you have fewer pressures. I don't want you to just desire to, I want to be married. I want to be married. I want to be married. He said, because, you know, time is short. And if God has called you to be single, that's a good thing because you won't face, you know, in certain circumstances, you're not going to face the same pressures that you would if you have other people that you're responsible for. In verse 28, he says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. I want to spare you of the troubles that you will face. We, I mean, just you can close your eyes seriously for 30 seconds and think of the fact that you're married and you have kids. All good things, all good things. But how, how many, how, how much, how much time have you spent worrying about your children in the past mm, four weeks? Probably a lot. 
How much time have you been concerned about other person's feelings or this or that? Not again, all good things, but how much time do you spend and the pressure that causes you? You want to make sure your kids grow up the right way. You want to make sure they get to the right school. You want to make sure they find the right job. You want to make sure that they're healthy. You want to make sure all these things from parenting, right? All good things. All Paul is saying that we will face, there are many troubles in life. When you're married, he says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Single people often think, if I would just get married, I would have fewer problems. Because you don't understand what we go through. You don't understand what I'm going through right now. So if I could just get married, once I get married, I'm going to have fewer problems because, 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 because actually you're probably going to have more. Okay. In reality, you're probably, you're probably going to end up with more problems, not less problems. Paul is saying that there will always be challenges that cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, okay? doesn't matter what phase or what season of life that you're in. There are always going to be challenges in life, whether you're single or you're married. But if you're married, there are going to be challenges in, in your life because of your circumstances that are going to take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. But the single person, he's saying, can stay more easily focused on his relationship, on their relationship with Christ. We see this in verse 32. It says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, but a married person, it has to be concerned, it, rightly so, we've talked about this, with the feelings of their spouse, the concerns of their spouse, what's going on and pleasing their spouse. Paul continues in verse 35, I am saying this for your own good, not now, not to restrict you, okay? Not to restrict you. If God is calling you to be married, I'm not calling to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in individual devotion to the Lord. All right, so pause. If you're single, you are living rightly before God. It's good, it's beautiful, It's honorable, it's acceptable, it's all those good things. Jesus Christ was single, Paul was single, people throughout the word of God were single. Good, good. If you're married, okay, you're living rightly as well, all right? You're honoring God with your marriage, all kinds, we talked about this, I'm not going to get into it now, but being married, you can do do things that are glorifying to God and honoring to God and all those kinds of good things. So let's just hold that thought. Because I want to um, put this all in perspective. If you're single, all right, this morning, you need to take advantage of this part of your life. You, need, you don't need, my friends, another person to make you whole, to make you complete, okay? That's just not biblical. That's what Jesus Christ's job is. Jesus makes you complete. He makes you whole. He gives you purpose. He gives you value. It's only in Christ that you find those things. You have value if you're single because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who think that singles are incomplete, all right, hear me, you're wrong. You're, it is, you're, you're wrong, you're sinning, and you should repent, okay? Repent. And stop bothering these people, all right? I'm honest. If you think that they're incomplete, you're wrong, you're sinning, you should repent, and you should stop bothering them, all right? 
You know why single people don't like to go to Thanksgiving dinner? And I've heard, I heard it in the foyer because every, or a, a, a woman, she, she doesn't have any children right now or she can't, whatever the case may be. And they hear these kinds of derogatory and people don't mean to sometimes, but who wants to go to Thanksgiving or Christmas or hang out with people who are constantly asking you, oh, have you seen anyone? Are you seeing anyone? Did you find anyone? Have you met anyone? I know someone you could meet. I know. And it's somehow like you're not complete without their person, Bob, from the office who's just a nice guy. You know what I'm saying? Leave these folks alone. They can handle it, all right? They, if they want you to hook them, if they want you to connect them with Bob, all right, they'll ask you. But don't make it a, a, a topic of conversation at every meal like somehow they're missing something, okay, that you have when actually they're not. They're in a season of life where God wants them, God has them. It is a gift. Of God, so leave them alone unless they ask for it. Okay, stop bothering, stop sinning. Someone said, I love the fact that you still use the word sin. Where am I supposed to use it? Well, I don't hear sin anymore. Well, if you tell singles that they're incomplete, you're sinning. All right, if you're single, don't wait. I've talked about this, and Debbie mentioned it too. If you're single, don't wait to start living. Okay, to start living, don't listen, don't just try to survive this season of your life. Thrive in this season of your life. Thrive in it. Okay, this is your season. This is where God has you now. So thrive in it. Give it all you've got. The Bible teaches that each of us, whether we're married or not, we need to to, we need to live each day with passion. We need to give our lives to every single day and live it to the fullest. Here's the thing. Singles, you are not in limbo. You are not in limbo. Get that out of your mind. You're here and you're in limbo and you're just kind of floating along and waiting for the real season of like, stop thinking that way. You're not in limbo. You're right where God wants you to be. It is a gift of God. So use the gift. Use this opportunity to glorify God, to grow in your relationship with Christ, to learn things that you may never be able to learn otherwise. And this is a big one. Switching gears just for a second. If you're single, do not use this season of your life as an excuse to sin. And this is culturally, whether you're, whether you're Christian or a non-Christian, this is, people use this season of their lives as an excuse to sin. You were not given this season of your life to sow your wild oats, to hook up, or to be a player. This is not, this is not what you were called by God to do. This is not the season for, oh, I'm free, so now I'm going to go play the field, or I'm going to hook up with this person, or I'm going to sow my wild, or whatever words you want to use. Don't, that's not the season. You were given this time according to Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 to sow righteousness for yourself. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. It is, what is this time used for? It is time to seek the Lord. It is time to glorify the Lord. It is time to grow in your relationship with Christ until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. I don't hear this anymore. I think it's like because it offends people. 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You have that you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay. When you hook up with people, when while you're playing the field, okay, and putting notches on your belt, you are dragging Jesus Christ through the mud. All right, you are you are you are including you. you, Your body belongs to God. You you the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus Christ is in you. So you are incorporating when you behave in that way, you are dragging Jesus into that behavior. You got to think you have to be kind of process this through. And if I hear one more Christian single say that sex before marriage is okay because you love the person, um, here is my response to that. I first John says that we are supposed to obey his commands. A man who does not do what he says is a liar and the truth is not in him. So the reality is this word of God determines and dictates how I behave during every season of my life. So here's my response to you can have sex before you're married as long as you're in love. Seriously, help me. Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. That is so unbiblical, it's mind-boggling. Listen to me, it is 100% wrong. 100% wrong. And there's no validity in Scripture whatsoever except that which you create in your own mind. So I have decided that I believe that there are flying cows. I believe that cows can fly. Why do I believe that? Because I just think it. I just feel it. I just think it. You think, well, that's ridiculous. Show me when the Bible where cows can fly. I don't need that. I just think they can. But here's the thing. You think that's ridiculous. Well, it's just as ridiculous as saying something like it's okay to have sex with other people as long as you're in love with them. How many? How many people you fall in love with over your time where you're single and you fall in love with them and have sex with them? The only difference is my my flying cow belief has does no real damage compared to having sex with everybody who comes along that you've fallen in love with. I spend so much, I'm just, listen, this is not, I'm not trying to be aggressive here. I sit in my office and I spend so much time undoing um, the suffering and, the, and, the, and the, the trouble and the pain that it causes when people say things like that and then live that out in their lives. And, and it breaks my heart and it hurts and it's difficult to help them overcome so we've got to stop. We've got to stop pulling things out of our brain and saying, well, I believe God loves and God is love and love is love. And as long as people are in love and they can have sex, whatever they want to, that is completely 100 percent wrong and unbiblical and unfounded. And you can't find it anywhere in any page of scripture. And you can't even almost pull it out of context. It's so ridiculous. Singles, this is your season to shine for Jesus Christ. This is your, this is your season to shine. You, you, you are complete in him. You are complete. You are whole in him. Time is short, and you need to take advantage of this time that God has given you to do the things that God is calling you to do. There are so many dynamic things that you will be free to do if this, in this season of your life, and God wants you to go and do them. Hosea ten twelve. let me read it again. Part of it says this, break up your unplowed ground. I love that. Break up your unplowed 
unplowed ground. In other words, stop waiting for the next season of your life. Plow forward now. The season that you have, the season is ripe to plow. Plow now. Plow forward. Dream now. Have visions now. Live now. This is your season. This is your time. Live now. And for the rest of us, encourage those who are single to live their lives for Jesus Christ. Be less concerned with who they're going to find and help them find Christ. Help them grow in Christ. Encourage them. This is a dynamic and exciting time for them to use to glorify God. That's our responsibility to those around us who are in a season of being single. It is, it is good. It is acceptable. It is honorable. It is beautiful. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for this series, Lord God, where we're, we're just delving into truth and laying aside just complete and utter lies that we're told, whether we're single, whether we're a woman, whether we're a man, whether we're married, whatever the case may be, we're just lied to constantly. Thank you for your word, the foundation on which we can stand. I pray that every single one of us would stand on your word and nothing else. Because it never leads us astray. And always leads us back into a deeper relationship with you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time that we can spend together and learn more about who you are and about who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.